dismiss our children as well. It's January, and we're doing a chili cook-off. That was spontaneous, just a little plug for the wife. It's January, and typically around this time we'll take a pause from the normal sermon series that we're in and just kind of orient uh, each other to the year and to uh, the basics, to the fundamentals. Uh, we don't have a series in some way this year, just a couple standalone messages. Appreciated Alex last week calling us to prayer uh, as we start the year, ordinary prayer. And uh, just doing some reflection and preparation uh, on uh, uh, some passages, but one that stuck out in particular that I wanted to just take time and share with us uh, together. So, basically, my hope today is twofold. One, I want to begin the year by reminding everyone here that knows Jesus, trusts Jesus, has a relationship with Jesus, that you are anchored in God's grace. Your life, your identity, everything about you is anchored in the grace of God because of Jesus. I want you to hear that this morning. We're going to spend some time thinking about that. So important to start the year being reminded of God's goodness toward us and His sufficient grace that He's provided to us in His Son, Jesus. It's a great starting point. It's really the only starting point. If we think about our lives, all that has happened, all that we have, and anything that is good in us, we trace all the way back to its source. And guess what it is? The grace of God. It's all from His hand. It's all because of God's grace to us. So hear it again. Because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, you're anchored in God's grace. That's my first hope today. My second hope is this. And it's based on the first one. Based on the fact, the reality, that you are anchored in grace, I want to call you to be active in grace. You hear that? I want to inspire you from the Word. I want to uh, propel you forward to action. And I want to do so in two specific ways. Getting more specific. Intentional and godly living. And two... And good works. Intentional and godly living. Passionate and good works. You say, where are you coming up with all this stuff? I don't make up these things. The Lord reveals them. Grab your Bible, Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. If you hear a little snorting and sniffling and yakking and fl- whatever, Forgive me, okay? I got some water here. We're going to make it. We're going to make it. Titus chapter 2, 
verse 11 through 14. Here's what the word of the Lord says. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is the word of the Lord. All God's people said, Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that by your Spirit you would remind us grace that you have given to us in Christ, and I pray that by your Spirit, you would activate grace in the overflow of our lives. Purify us today in your Word. Inspire us in your Word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. How have we been anchored in grace? Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. We just walked through a season known as Advent. We celebrated together. I mean, we're still living in seasonal rebellion now. We understand it's mid-January almost, but we still have the Christmas decorations up. We refuse to submit to the season. We love to celebrate Jesus coming into the world. And what do we celebrate at Christmas? That the grace of God that always has been, eternally, in past, present, and future, and what will be, that grace of God that is in His nature has appeared, visibly, historically, in Christ Jesus. In Christ, in His incarnation, in His coming into the world, the grace of God appeared. And what was the effect of that? When the grace of God appeared, it brought salvation to all mankind, to all people. What we're hearing there is this, that God saw our sinful state, He knew our greatest need, and He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world as a display and perfect representation of His nature, His character, His grace. When Jesus came into the world, the grace of God appeared. And the result of that is that He brought salvation. Grace brought us salvation. That's how it anchored us. It brought us salvation. Titus 3, 4, and 5, just a few verses later, says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, that's Jesus, He saved us. That's what grace does to us. It saves us. It saves us from our sins. It saves us back into relationship with Him. And when He saves us, we are now sealed and secured and anchored in His very 
nature, His person, and His grace as we receive that by faith. We're anchored in grace. Grace saves us. And we see this in the Incarnation when He appears. There's such grace at Christmas. There's such grace in the Incarnation. Don't miss that. He came. He brought salvation to those who had rebelled against Him. That's us. But not just His life that saved us, but also His death. Verse 14, if you go down just a little bit more, you see that He saved us in a specific way. He calls Him our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us. What did His grace effectively accomplish? Our redemption. How were we redeemed? Through Him giving Himself up for us. So we say, how have we come to be anchored in grace? Well, He gave Himself for us. That's what Jesus did. Jesus gave Himself for us. His life given over in His substitutionary death. So we see grace not just in the incarnation, but we see the grace of God in the crucifixion. Where He willingly, voluntarily laid down His life for us in death. A death He did not deserve, but willingly embraced, knowing that this would be the only way that we would be set free from the power and the tyranny of sin. To be made free. To be in relationship with Him. Christ's cross brings us back to God. It is Christ's cross that we see and experience and receive His grace. It's at Christ's cross applied to us that we are anchored into God's grace and His goodness. Do you see that this morning? Grace brought us salvation in Christ's incarnation and Christ's crucifixion. Grace brought us salvation. It brought us freedom. It set us free from sin and its tyranny and it brought us back into relationship with God. That's where salvation is found. In Jesus, in His life, in His death. And as we understand, His death was not the end of the story. Amen? His death ultimately led to His resurrection. But even now, Jesus is alive. Amen? Do you believe that this morning? Is it a good thing to be reminded of the resurrection and the victory of Christ as we begin this year? Jesus won the victory. He's alive. And so we talk about being anchored in grace. All of a sudden, we're getting a full picture of grace all in, in one source. Jesus. His life. His death. His resurrection. God anchors us in grace by uniting us to Jesus. That's where God's grace is found. One place. One person. Jesus Christ. Do you know Him this morning? Have you trusted in Him? Have you seen His life, death, and resurrection as the fulcrum of human history? The fulcrum of salvation? The turning point? It changes human conditions from death to life. 
please see Him for who He is. Understand the sufficiency of what He has accomplished and embrace the totality of all that and receive His grace today. And if you've already received it, you've already trusted in Him, be reminded that this is your defining reality. You are in Christ. You are anchored in grace. That's who you are. Don't let anyone tell you different. You're anchored in grace. Grace brought us salvation. But not only that, grace sets before us a glorious hope. We're still talking about Jesus. Verse 13, as a people anchored in grace, we're a people that expect it in the future. Matter of fact, we're expecting glory. Jesus said to his disciples after his resurrection, he would return. I'm going away, but you will see me again. He says that we're a people that are waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those who are in Christ are anchored in grace, and being anchored in grace means that we have set before us a glorious hope, a hope that is true and real and unchanging, that no one can take away from us. Do you understand that this morning? In this hopeless world, on a promise that Jesus gave to them. I will be back. I will return. I will come to finally and fully judge the wicked and the deaf. I will bring you into my heavenly glory. That the suffering and struggles that you face day in and day out, they are temporary. And so grace is all defining for us who are in Christ. Grace sets before us a glorious hope, a hope that we're waiting for, a hope that we wait for expectantly. Follower of Jesus, I, do I need to say it again? You're anchored in grace. It defines your past, present, and future. Nothing can take that away from you. It's who you are. It, it's what God has done. You're anchored. Such anchoring has great purpose, doesn't it? God had a purpose in doing this for us. And we see it right here in these passages. For the grace of God has appeared, verse 12, bringing salvation to all people. And then don't miss this phrase. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Yeah, grace brought us salvation. Yeah, grace gave us a, a secure, glorious hope. But we also see here that the same grace activates in us an intentionality when it comes to godly living. That's what grace does. I don't know what your understanding of grace is, this morning, but that's what biblical grace does. Yes, it saves. Amen? But it also activates in us godly living and an intentionality toward godly living. Grace says no to us. Oh, snap. 
Grace says no. Where do you get that? It trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. God's grace says no to what? It says no. And that's not easy. Because, as Scott Hubbard points out, the process of responding to the grace that says no in obedience, it, it's painful. He says, when we renounce ungodliness, we take something once precious to me, to us, and we put it to death. So he says, put it to death. Say no. Renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Renounce greed and the constant self-seeking ambitions of this world. Renounce that. Renounce sexual pleasures, actions, and thoughts outside of covenant marriage. Renounce that. It says, renounce the constant affirmations that you seek and crave from others in every context, including social media. Renounce the perpetual pursuit of more stuff, more accomplishments, more rewards, more honor, more experiences, more things, more vacations, the moreness of our world. Renounce that and be content with what God has given you. Renounce the expressive individualism, <laughs> individualism that drives identity and decisions in our world. Renounce that. All those worldly passions that pervade our society, that, that, that they, they want to disciple us and call us to the worldly ungodliness, he's saying renounce that. Maybe you can come up with some examples on your own. Renounce that. Grace says no. But again, this comes into direct conflict with most people's understanding of grace. Right? Grace, in our mind, means this. I could do whatever I want without any consequences. Grace in our society, and even in the church, says, please support and celebrate every decision that I make. Grace in our society says this. Because of grace, we get a pass on behavior. And because of grace, guess what? We have this little trump card. It's this, this card that is basically a get-out-of-obedience-free card. You know what I'm talking about. Friends, when we disobey, there is an infinite river of grace. Amen? But there's no way, shape, or form, any way of understanding biblical grace as a get-out-of-obedience-free card. Right? Grace says no. Grace enables and empowers obedience. If you love me, you obey my commands. And guess what? If you, if, I'm going to send the helper, the Spirit. He's going to enable, fill you and, and be in you, and enable this kind of obedience. Biblical grace empowers obedience. The church has historically struggled with this. Throughout history, there's been a distortion of grace called antinomianism. This is a big word that means no law. Right? Paul Hodges says, the antinomian Christian is one who gets so enamored 
by the free grace of God in Jesus Christ, that he abandons the hot pursuit of practical holiness. Instead, he remains in spiritual immaturity by continuing to live in the flesh with one foot in the world and the other foot in the church. Have any of you ever struggled with that understanding of grace or even that way of living? I'll be the first one to raise my hand and admit that before you. This is a constant battle for us. And yet, we understand that biblical grace is one that says no and calls us to obedience and empowers such obedience. But we must understand that grace also says yes. Amen? It calls us from something and calls us to something, and that is godly living. Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Grace is calling us, training us, and pointing the way to us to live a life that is more and more like the God who has saved us and less and less like the world from which He has redeemed us from. So, cutting to the chase, God says, Be holy, for I am holy. Let us not in this year abandon the hot pursuit of holiness in our lives because of grace. I'm not trying to guilt anyone here. Because of grace, let us pursue passionately holiness. I trust the Spirit of God even now is at work in your heart. You say, well, what areas of my life, Mike, do I need grace for holiness? I'm going to tell you in one word. Well, this is, I'm not, yeah. All. There's one word. I did it. All areas, all areas of our life, every aspect, the totality of our lives is in constant need of God's grace and, 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 and to, to conform to the image of Jesus. Amen? But I wonder if to simplify it and bring focus and precision, there are not some specific areas of your life that the Spirit of God is even immediately, right now, bringing to mind to convict you of, to say, these are areas of my life that I need to renounce. These are worldly passions that I need to renounce. These are areas in which I need to pursue obedience and godly living. I know I've been reflecting on some, and I'll share a few of them with you. Godly words and tones. Man, for whatever reason, for 43 years, that is on the top of my list. Godly words and tones. Not just what I say, but how I say it. Second, godly emotions. Self-control, temperance, right? That can be a firebrand. That's not a good thing, right? Temperance. So, Lord, conform my emotions to the image of your Son. My reactions, my impulses, my thoughts, godly thoughts my, about myself. What do I tell myself about myself? Without going Jim Gaffigan here. About myself. About me, anyway. What do I tell myself about myself? What do, what do I believe to be true? And what do I think about others? And how do I... What do I think about situations as I encounter them? And last, godly decisions. I can waste time and money. I'm an expert at wasting time and money. 
And I'm, this isn't just meant to be like, I want to be better this year, like self-improvement. This is about conformity to the image of Christ. Amen? How I understand my time. What it's for. It's not for myself. It's easy to think that every uh, waking moment outside of my responsibility is me time. It's easy to just kick others to the curb and not understand that every day is for the glory of God and for the good of others. Rest is good, amen? God's given us that. But it's easy to be unholy with my time and my financial decisions. So, what specific areas of your life do you need grace for godly living? Maybe seek the Lord about that. That's what grace does. You're anchored in grace. You're active in grace. And first of all, you're intentional in godly living. And second, grace, I think, activates in us a passion for good works. The passage ends with a phrase that we might miss. It tells more about the reason Jesus died, the kind of people he's calling to himself as his own. He says, a people zealous for good works. Are you zealous for good works? I was reflecting, I feel like I do a lot of good things. But I don't think I do them all with very much joy and zealousness and passion. Often begrudgingly, right? Often letting people know that they kind of like owe me something if I do this. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, like I got a chip on my shoulder, right? I felt convicted by that phrase, zealous, passionate. And I know, like, Many of you may be struggling with the same things. I don't think I'm looking at a, a, a group of people that are bored and inactive. We have an active, servant-hearted church family. Sure, we can grow in some of these things. But I wonder where, you know, a year, uh, two years after a pandemic or wherever you measure that, and, 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 and a year after planting Covenant Church eight miles that way, and just... The, the, the exhaustion of trotting through faithful, boring, ordinary ministry. I wonder if as a church, we've just grown tired and weary and, 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 and dispassionate about good works. Right? I know I, I do the right thing, but I can't wait till it's over so I can get home and chill. I want to encourage us to an anchoring in grace that activates a kind of passion for godly living. Right? It's important to be reminded that we are not saved by works. We are saved for works. Amen? The prepositions matter. We're saved by grace, through faith, for works. Ephesians 2.10 We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Saved by grace, through faith, for works. The prepositions matter. Doctrine rises and falls on those prepositions. You're not saved by works. You're saved for works. So why would God anchor us in grace? So that God's grace would be active in us. That it would inspire us and propel within us this desire to do good works. Let's get to work, renovation. Let's get something done on the basis of grace. 
Let's trust God that He actually wants to do a powerful work in us, but ultimately through us for His own glory. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to do a work in us and through us? Thinking about the home, fathers, mothers, parents. Let's get to work in our homes. Let's strive to be active. Teens, here's a crazy thought. Let's get to work for your parents. Someone say amen. Yeah. Let's get to work. There's good work to be done. Let's not begrudge them. Let's embrace them with joy. God's given them to us to do. God's given them to us. Think about work and school, employees and students. But understand, my primary focus this morning is for members in the church. May God's grace be active in you and activate in you a passion for good works as a member of a local church. Church, let's be active together. Let's worship every week. That is a good work. That is a good work. You respond to grace by worshiping Jesus. That's good. It encourages others. It builds them up. Good. Members, let's serve regularly. That means sign up, get on a schedule. Be a part of it. Serve. But also, responsibly, needs arise in this community, in this fellowship. Serve. Make yourself available. It's good work. Give. Right? What's a good work? Giving. Generosity. Your time and your resources. Man, we're starting a year where budgetarily we got some challenges as the body of Christ. But we're trusting the Lord. We're anchored in grace. Amen? You know, let's be active in it. Let's continue to give. Let's be passionate and cheerful and joyful in that giving. Not under compulsion. Not being manipulated to do so, but in response to grace. Let's give freely, cheerfully, radically. Here's one. Let's disciple someone in the body. Let's let's invest in a relationship. There are so many people here that are craving intentional investment. Let's give ourselves over to them. Couple to couple, right? Singles. Let's invest in singles in this church. Students, teenagers. We have 15 teenagers uh, in this church family, this small little church. And you know what they need? They need someone that's not their parent who's going to sit across the table from them and just pray and invest and listen. That's what they need. We have three of them now that are baptismal candidates, right? You want to help serve the church? Invest and disciple in someone who's preparing for baptism. What an awesome privilege. It makes a difference. I think about why do I, why am I getting excited about this? Because I'm telling you things that have happened in my life over the last 43 years that these were people investing in me. Right? They met with me for breakfast. They bought me lunch. They had coffee. They had me in their homes. Older couples, older uh, um, students investing in me. Older men, father figures, brothers who, who picked me up at 5 in the morning to buy me breakfast and tell me that I'm, li- that I'm thinking and living like a crazy man. And I need to love Jesus more. Those things make a difference in people's lives. I think that's the most exciting thing for me. The kind of impact grace has had on you 
is the kind of impact that grace can have through you in the life of somebody else. There's so much good work that can be done here. And here's the wonderful news. The impact of grace on our life leads to the impact of grace on other people's lives and ultimately to the glory of God. Jesus told us, Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that when they see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This leads to the glory of God. The very glory that we anticipate, the second coming. We'll see and experience in total. Our works lead to it. Isn't that an amazing thing? People see our good deeds and they'll glorify God. Titus 2.10, the very verse prior to this passage, after a long list of instructing old men, old women, younger women, uh, uh, servants, all this, like, here's how you're to live in a way that is consistent with the doctrine that we preach and teach. He says, when you do all this, you're doing it for this purpose and result, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Do you know that when you do good works, you bring glory to God? And also in this world, when you do good works in response to grace, you are adorning the gospel and the doctrine of God our Savior. That means this. Adorn means this. You make it attractive to the world. You make it look what it is. Beautiful. God works in you by His grace. And then as you respond to it and as you live in passionate and ze- in, in zealousness and good works, guess what happens? Everyone looks at your life and they're like, wow, that's the true doctrine of God our Savior. I want in on that. Imagine the kind of impact that would happen in this community if we gave ourselves to good works, if we served, if we got involved, if we did life here in this community. Imagine the relationships that we have. Imagine the kind of impact that grace would have in the lives of people who are far from Him. Imagine the kind of conversions and turning to God and repentance that we would see if we gave ourselves to good works. I guess we'll see. It's up to God to bring those results. Amen? But we're people that are anchored in grace. So let's be active in grace. Can we do that together? We're anchored. Let's be active. Let's give ourselves to intentional godly living. And let's give ourselves to passionate actions and good works. And trust the Lord will use it for His glory. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank You so much for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. We come to You humbly confessing our need for Him always in everything. But we ask specifically that Your Spirit would be at work in us, helping us to conform to the image of of Jesus. We pray that You would inspire, that You would quicken within us a desire to do good works, to respond to need, to take initiative in people's lives and in this community. Lord, we need you. We trust you. We ask that you bless us. 
To you be the glory. And all God's people said, Amen.